Welcome to another episode of WDMA Open and Close. I'm Mike O'Brien, CEO of the Window and Door Manufacturers Association. For this first episode of the year, we thought we'd change it up a bit and have a couple other WDMA team members host segments of the show. First up will be Jeff Inks, WDMA Senior VP of Advocacy, talking with Jeff Baker of West Lab Canada about new and controversial proposed federal requirements on energy efficiency that could have a major impact on companies doing business in Canada. Then Steve Orlowski, WDMA's Senior Director of Standards and Technical Activities, will have a conversation with David Claypool of Lexington Manufacturing about how they are fulfilling the need for engineered components in the industry and their commitment to sustainable forestry practices. As a reminder, you can subscribe to WDMA Open and Close through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also listen to us online through the WDMA website at wdma.com slash WDMA Open and Close. We'll be right back, so stay with us. I'm Jeff Inks, Vice President of Advocacy for WDMA, and we're here to discuss new Canadian federal regulations for the energy efficiency of windows, doors, and skylights that are being proposed by Natural Resources Canada. Like the U.S. Department of Energy and the Environmental Protection Agency, Natural Resources Canada, or more commonly known as NRCAN, is Canada's federal agency with responsibility for energy and environmental matters at the federal level. I'm joined by Jeff Baker, who is the CEO of West Lab Canada, which is one of the world's leading providers of energy modeling, in particular for the Fenestration Rating Council and the Canadian Standards Association. He's a national expert on building codes in Canada, and he also serves as the technical consultant for Fenestration Canada, which is Canada's national trade association for the Canadian fenestration industry. He is here today to provide us with more detail on what is being proposed. So, Jeff, can you give us a brief overview of exactly what is being proposed in the way of, of the criteria and the requirements and the timeline that is being proposed for the implementation of them? Sure, Jeff. Uh, the original proposal was to bring a target in, targets and requirements under the regulation for 2020, make them more stringent in 2025, and then more stringent in 2030. Already, they've pushed the 2020 back to 2022 but have made it clear they want to stay on track with the 2025 and 2020 and the 2030 timeline. So in 2022, they're proposing a U factor in metric of 1.6 or 0.28 in inch pound units or an energy rating of 25. The Canadian energy rating is a combination of solar heat gain energy, sorry, solar heat gain is a positive quantity, you know, for heating, offsetting heating. U-factor as a loss and some air leakage as a loss. So that's part of the energy rating as another measure used in Canada. So in 2022, they're looking at a 1.6 metric U-factor, 0.28 inch pound or an ER of 25. Then by when they get to 2025, they will make it a 1.2 metric U-factor or a 0.21 inch pound and an ER of 30, sorry, or an ER of 30, that or is very important. And then by 2030, their aspirational goal is a 0.8 metric U factor, 0.14 inch pound, and then uh, an E or an ER 44. That's where they're at, what they're talking about right now. But there's one more component of this that comes into play that uh, window manufacturers and any fen- all the fenestration manufacturers need to be aware of 
is this will also come with an administrative requirement to report uh, sales and units sold information on that. That whole reporting requirement is part is in the federal regulation. It's required anytime they put a regulation out. It's used for them to measure how successful they're being. Right now, that administrative regulation can, is going to be a burden that manufacturers don't have to deal with right now anywhere in Canada. So we want to make sure there's a lot of stakeholder input with Natural Resources Canada on that one alone. Because if you look back to the 2022 requirement, the 1.6 or 0.28 U-factor, that's code-related numbers right across the country now. Minimum codes are at that level or better. So the performance numbers aren't great. And they've done that intentionally because this administrative burden that will fall onto manufacturers is going to take a lot of work to get, get that paperwork and reporting requirements in place. I hope that helps. So, Jeff, just to briefly review uh, what you just went over uh, in terms of what is being required and the implementation timeline for it, it there's going to be a phase in approach over the course of three tiers or three different phases applicable to vertical fenestration. And the first would be a 0.28 U-factor as a minimum requirement as of 2022, again, a federal regulation. And then in 2025, a minimum U-factor of 0.21. And then that would be further reduced to a minimum U-factor of a 0.14 that will be required as of 2030. And then in addition to that, there is a new requirement that manufacturers, an administration requirement, that manufacturers provide data on the units manufactured and sold. Does that sum it up? That sums it up really well. Okay. Then the other thing we want to clarify too, the, the intent of this, at least the first phase, is to be applicable to vertical fenestration, but the overall intent is to bring in all fenestration products at some point. When along the phase in will that happen? That's up for debate right now. Without a doubt, windows are cover, uh, will be started in 2022. They're going to move forward with that. Whether doors uh, meaning entry doors or sliding glass patio doors or any other form of doors, where they will get implemented is still up for discussion, whether they will come in in 2022 with the windows or get pushed back to 2025 and, and be implemented there. That's being debated still. But it is clear that for vertical fenestration, they're going to use one set of targets, whether it's a window or any kind of door, they're going to use one set of targets then skylights have been discussed and again skylights when you go go to a different you know slope the skylight the performance change the physics changes the performance changes so they're looking at different criteria there when they'll implement skylights again that's also being discussed right now and has not been resolved okay so if this regulation is is passed it will be the first canadian federal regulation for requirements for the thermal or the energy efficiency of of fenestration in particular windows but currently, each of the provinces have their own energy codes, correct? So all the provinces have an energy code, but six of them also have an energy, in their Energy Act, have the legislation to regulate windows. So again, the difference between code and regulation, regulations for every product sold in, in, in the jurisdiction, whether it's the province or the whole country, where code covers new construction or any construction where building permits required. So right now, there's two provinces that do have a regulation on fenestration. Ontario has a regulation strictly on vertical windows. That's all they've got for residential construction. And that's been in place for quite a few years. And it's currently a, a U factor of 0.20 metric or 
inch pound. British Columbia is the other province that's had a regulation in, in, in play since back in 2009. And it covers all forms of fenestration pretty much, ranging from windows, doors, skylights, curtain wall, window wall, across the board, whether it's new construction or, uh, sorry, whether it's residential construction or commercial construction. So how these will all interact is also something the federal government's trying to coordinate. The feeling from the industry is we would like it if the minimum regulation is a constant across the country so that we're not dealing with different regulations in different jurisdictions. That would be helpful. So in terms of, you know, we, we noted that manufacturers certainly appreciate consistency. Uh, but in terms of what is actually being required, uh, what has the reaction been so far in terms of achieving a, a 0.28 uh, in two years and essentially two years and uh, a 0.21 in just over five in terms of a mainstream, widely available, affordable product? Well, the, you know, meeting the 0.28 U factor is not a great concern to the industry. There's many, many manufacturers in Canada that are already there, have that product. And as for new construction in a lot of jurisdictions across Canada, that probably is the minimum or, or maximum U factor, sorry, that you would, you would need, uh, could, could put into new construction. So there hasn't been a lot of concern about that. The next level, when you get to a 0.21 U factor, there's a lot of people looking at that one really hard right now. And it's, it's because the, that's the, going to be the new requirement for the 2020 energy star program. So there's no doubt that energy or sorry, natural resources Canada is also going to be using the energy star program as a tool to try and drive, drive this regulation so that you'll get, you know, if you get there early, you're going to get credit under the energy star program for, for getting there. So there's an awful lot of manufacturers looking at that 0.21 U factor or the energy rating of 34 right now on how they can get there. And I think and that's because Energy Star beginning uh, January 1, 2020, that's going to be the new target. So I think that's got a, a lot of manufacturers' attention. Beyond th that second phase into the 0.08 metric or the 0.14 U-factor inch pound, I'm not sure people are looking at that. From a high-level research point of view, we're discovering that that is likely going to take new technology that just doesn't exist or new technology that's coming into the marketplace like vacuum glazing. So the, the industry uh, is pushing back real hard on, on the 0.14 U factor. That's a very large challenge to build as the only product you can sell in the country and get it at a price point that makes any sense. So there's a lot of work to be done there yet, but there's no doubt a lot of manufacturers are working very hard to get to the 0.21 U factor now. So then in terms of representing those concerns or in, in terms of communicating those concerns from industry to Natural Resources Canada as they consider this. You know, in the U.S., we have a federal rulemaking process that allows stakeholders, uh, in particular, you know, essentially anyone, that through the rulemaking process, when an agency wants to propose a regulation, they do so publicly and there is an opportunity to provide comments and dialogue otherwise with, with the agency while they are considering that. Can you just kind of give us a brief overview of, of what the process is in Canada that Natural Resources Canada is following? And is there an opportunity for manufacturers to voice their concerns? Yeah, and I've been struggling to try and get them to help me understand this. They have a process, but it, it's complicated. And right now, I would say where we're at right now is we are pre-proposal point of view. They're just discussing what they're thinking, where they're going, 
then an official proposal will get get published. It goes out in in the federal government's uh, gazette. It's uh, where they make all their announcements. When the first proposal comes out, then there's a public consultation phase and time to be doing that and looking for feedback from stakeholders. Then there will be uh, then before they then there will be a publication in the gazette a second time of where they're at some more public consultation, but that's that's likely to be the final proposal that will go before the government for approval at some point. So, and timelines on this, we're trying to get NRCAN to give us solid timeline timelines, but uh, they're moving by the end of 2019, they, they'll have been through that first phase or they'll need to be through that first phase to meet their deadlines. And then the second phase would need to be completed by the end of 2020 and give the industry then a, f- a couple of more years to, g- to get everything in place. So yes, there's opportunity for stakeholder input and uh, Fenestration Canada is actively involved in this and, and getting that out to their membership. Uh, we've partnered with WDMA to uh, share, share the information we're learning and make sure that your members that sell into Canada have an opportunity to provide input as well. Because one thing that's important to understand for your membership specifically any product coming in from outside the country would have to meet the federal regulation. In within Canada, it's the federal government only controls product uh, only can regulate products that cross a provincial border. So, for example, if I built in Ontario and shipped to Quebec, I'd have to meet the federal regulation. But if I built in Ontario and only sold in Ontario, I wouldn't. So that that's a complicating factor. But for your members that are going to be shipping in from outside the country, they would have to comply no matter where they're selling their product. So that leads me to another question with respect to compliance um, and to a certain extent enforcement. But with respect to compliance, what is in place or what is being proposed for manufacturers to demonstrate compliance? Well, that's that will circle back to this administrative requirement for reporting. You're going to have to report and, and stipulate what products you're selling, what the performance levels they are, and document that and submit that to the government. And then what other reporting requirements are in play, that's the discussion that needs to be had with Natural Resources Canada to better understand that. And for product, so all manufacturers would have to prove that compliance, that they're in compliance and, and make a statement of what their, what their products are to prove compliance in that way. Then when it comes to enforcement, that's, that's where we're trying to better understand enforcement. But the one one enforcement arm the government has is any products coming in from outside the country will have to go through Canada uh, Customs and Border and inspections, and the paperwork would have to go through there, be verified. And I would envision there's there's paperwork checks, but then there could be inspections as well. So it could have issues, uh, and I think we need to work with Natural Resources Canada to make sure it doesn't make it so complicated that getting product in from outside the outside the country delays shipments that kind of thing so there's that's a significant stake that i think wdma needs to be involved in and can work with fenestration canada because a number of your members are also fenestration canada members so i think we can work together on that to help better understand what the requirements will be and give them good feedback to so that they don't put such onerous requirements that the burden on manufacturers makes it difficult to uh, get the product into the market. Okay. So is it envisioned in terms of, of compliance demonstration that existing certifications would be acceptable? Yes, that's the intention. There is a concern in that right now, as things stand today, they would not recognize NFRC certification. 
Okay. But NFRC is aware of the concerns and the problem and working on it right now. The regulation states that any certifying body has to be recognized by the Standards Council of Canada. That's part of the Canadian regulation we can't get around. NFRC, we've done well in Canada to get NFRC recognized in all the building or all the energy codes and all the existing provincial regulations. But at the federal level, they've told us there's no way around this. So NFRC is actively working right now to become recognized by the Standards Council of Canada as a Canadian certification body. Once they achieve that, then we've got no problems. So that is something I know and, uh, and I'm working closely with NFRC on to make sure it happens. Okay, so to kind of summarize things, what's being proposed is, is fairly well defined. Number one, it could still change based upon NRCAN's further consideration of this as they get more information, in particular from industry, which you noted is extremely important. And then the timeline could also be modified to an extent as well. So in other words, we are fairly certain that there will be new federal Canadian regulations for the energy efficiency of fenestration products, windows in particular. That seems to be a certainty. And what's being proposed is potentially likely at this point, but that could still change, as well as the implementation timeline for whatever is imposed in the way of new requirements. Is that right? I think you've captured it very well, Jeff, that it's a lot of players belief there will be a regulation. The timeline and the final performance values that are required have, you know, could shift a little bit. But in, in that sense, though, if I were predicting it, I could say a two, no more than a two year delay in total. Could we push out to, from 2025 to 2027 to 20, and then 2030 to 2032? Possibly. I would not envision it getting pushed out any further than that. But one of the key things industries pushed back and said, give us the long range picture. If you really want to achieve these goals, then lock it in and help us understand that the political will is to keep it there. And in Canada, once the regulation is in place and approved by a government, the likelihood of a future government taking it back on the, in, uh, under the climate change umbrella is probably small. So I, so putting it in place and telling us what these numbers are going to be out to 2030, the industry pushed back and said, you know, if you really want to achieve those, we need to know you're serious and you need to tell us what you want to allow the industry the time to, get, to ramp up to get to that, that level. So there's a lot of work to be done here yet, but it's anticipated that, yes, there will be a regulation. The final timeline and the final performance numbers, they're still looking for input on that yet. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff, for that more detailed explanation of what is being proposed in Canada for regulating the energy efficiency of windows, doors, and skylights. WDMA will be working with Administration Canada as this matter proceeds to ensure that WDMA members with Canadian interests are well represented. Thank you. Today, we are going to be talking with Lexington Manufacturers. Established in 1981, Lexington Manufacturing is a supplier to many OEM window door manufacturers across North America. The company specializes in a variety of engineered components for windows, doors, and other millwork, as well as fire-rated door components for the commercial and residential door industry. Many of the components Lexington fabricates have their origin in wood, and the company is committed to harvesting material from suppliers who follow sustainable forestry practices. Today's guest on the podcast is Dave Claypool. Dave is the sales and marketing manager for Lexington Manufacturing. 
Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Well, thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's go ahead and get started. And uh, if you would, I've kind of explained a little bit what Lexington Manufacturing is about, but if you would, please uh, elaborate on that for us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to inform the listeners today about Lexington Manufacturing. I'd like to set the stage today with a brief history of Lexington, since I think it helps understand what makes Lexington who it is as an important supplier to the window and door industry. In the late 1980s, computer numeric controlled, better known as CNC technologies, captured young Dimke's interest as they purchased their first CNC router in 1985. Once the technology was implemented, the Dimke's began looking for steady applications for Lexington's new capabilities. Persistence delivered an opportunity to manufacture a challenging component for Anderson Windows. Anderson had been unable to find a supplier capable of achieving the intricate wood design. With the Dimke's engineering background and can-do approach, Lexington provided a capable product and a business relationship sprouted. Another innovative technology, profile wrapping veneer on molded finger joint core was added and mastered by Lexington. Today, these two technologies remain core competencies, manufacturing assembly-ready window components. Uh, today, along with window engineered advances, the complexity of the core materials used in windows not only include just wood, but fiberglass, aluminum, PVC, and other emerging, emerging uh, composite laminated with wood veneer, acrylics, paper, and other evolving laminate overlays. In the mid-1990s, another Lexington evolution occurred, this time in step with the wood materials commonly used at the time to manufacture architectural wood doors. Lexington initiated an application for a new structural composite wood product called laminated strand lumber, commonly referred to as LSL. Lexington applied the LSL to manufacture a new concept for laminated door styles. The product gained acceptance when recognized by door manufacturers that using this new composite material rather than finger jointed or solid wood core uh, improved the stability and reduced field claims for warp after final install. In the same time frame, the WDMA Standards Committee adopted the new composite into the IS-1A as a structural composite lumber, commonly referred to as SCL, and qualified it for the manufacture of door styles, rails, and core. This changed the industry by displacing finger joint and stave core, historically specified for constructing architectural wood flush doors. Trust Joyce eventually became a warehouser company. Because Lexington had the capability to process the product directly from the mill, Another business relationship sprouted when Trust Joyce coordinated with Lexington to move its equipment to Brainerd, Minnesota, and set up a large panel processing facility to process mill panels into customer-supplied components for the window, door, and millwork industries. In 2005, Lexington heard from several customers in the door industry that there was a need to find some new solutions for fire-rated doors. Fourteen years ago, Lexington began a quest to find some new materials for constructing 45, 60, and 90-minute fire-rated doors. 
This effort has been a Lexington motivation ever since, applying R&D and extensive testing. Lexington now has a complete family of the Lexington Response Fire Rated products for door manufacturers to construct and label doors. Right now in 2019, Lexington is delivering its latest product offering, the Response Engineered Mineral, uh, acronym REM, that completes the full array of products through 90 minutes. The Lexington Response family of products now delivers all fire-rated solutions, including using organic non-mineral core through 60 minutes and the REM core where required for hardware or 90-minute applications. What is even more progressive is that the REM has improved manufacturing, handling, and physical properties for the door manufacturer. Well, that is definitely a very interesting history about Lexington manufacturing all the components and and products that they have been able to bring to the market since they opened. It does beg the question, how did you become involved with the company? Well, I started my career in 1983 uh, in the forest products industry in Minnesota, working for, in sales for a private manufacturer with, with five sawmills, a concentration dry kiln facility, producing hardwood and softwood lumber. At the time, our markets included all of North America, exporting to various European and Asian countries. In the early 1990s, I met Bob Dimke while we served together on an industry board of directors. I got to know Bob quite well professionally, but lost contact during several career changes I made with other lumber and wood components. In a mutual business relationship, I reconnected with Bob and was so impressed with Lexington, I began working for them in 2004 in the Brainerd Operations Joint Facility with Warehouser. I joined Lexington at a time it had only one product, uh, a mature laminated door style offering. Lexington was seeking opportunities to expand with new product offerings. Almost immediately, we began development of the response product family. And here I am in my 14th year with Lexington and have held responsibilities in procurement, product management, product development. And today I am the sales manager responsible for both the Minneapolis and Brainerd locations. So, Dave, during our initial conversation of having you on the podcast, you mentioned a recent evolution that Lexington undertook. Would you mind elaborating on the details of this evolution to our listeners? Sure, Steve. Since its beginnings, Lexington Manufacturing has been wholly owned by the Dimke family. With their leadership, Lexington's core values of safety, honesty, and, and integrity, people involvement, customer satisfaction, and continuous improvement have been deeply rooted into the culture at Lexington. Three years ago, with the future in mind, Bob and John Dimke began to restructure the Lexington management team and seek future ownership structure to carry Lexington forward. Bob and John recognized that to maintain true to its mission and values, it was clear Lexington required additional resources to meet strategic objectives. On December 31st of 2018, Lexington was acquired by Watkins Associated Industries, a family-owned private equity firm from the greater Atlanta area. The objectives of both Watkins and Lexington are clearly aligned with dedication to long-term development and to serving a greater good. As a newest member of the Watkins Associated Industries, Lexington will support the Watkins Christian Family Foundation in providing support for many worthwhile faith-based initiatives, most notably at-risk youth. Lexington will continue to operate with the same management and operational structure, and the Dimke family is extremely pleased 
with the outcome of their quest to find the best possible fit, providing a bright future for Lexington Manufacturing. That is great news. We really just are hoping the best for both Lexington and, and Watkins Associates in this endeavor. So let's go ahead and switch gears for a moment now. And let me ask you, what are some of the main benefits to door manufacturers from outsourcing their needs for wood components to Lexington? Well, first, uh, the benefits are reliability, both for quality and an on-time delivery. Our goal is to meet customers' requirements at a rate of 99.5%. At all levels of operational activity, this goal is clear and identifiable at Lexington. Our customers regularly provide feedback, confirming this is a benefit Lexington provides. Other benefits Lexington provides are rooted in our mission statement, building relationships, creating solutions, delivering value. Breaking this down, building relationships, Lexington considers a relationship as a mutual commitment that provides support to our customers' success. Creating solution, all businesses encounter issues that need creative and dedicated efforts to overcome. Lexington is willing to step up and provide support to our customers in problem-solving efforts, identifying and implementing solutions where it can have influence, and finally delivering value. Lexington wants to be valued because we do the most valuable things reliably. This starts with a business relationship foundation and understanding where a customer places the greatest value. Lexington also provides efficiency benefits for our customers. Lexington produces a multitude of products from one location. Outbound shipments vary from a single item filling an entire shipment to a variety of individual units of different components to maximize freight value. We scale our manufacturing to maintain short lead times in either case. Lexington also can partially assemble components if that creates value and a benefit to our customers. So at the beginning of our, our podcast, I mentioned that Lexington prides itself on its commitment to sustainable forest practices and harvesting wood materials responsibly. And I know this is something that, that you have talked to many of our members some times at our education sessions. And I, I was wondering if maybe you could tell our listeners out there a little bit more about uh, why it's important to have these sustainable forestry practices as part of Lexington's commitment. Well, sure, Steve. Um, Lexington prides itself on its commitment to sustainable forest practices and harvesting wood responsibly. Lexington's committed to sourcing sustainable wood products and committed to maintain enough inventory certified to both SFI certified and FSC mixed credit standards. Uh, all wood products are available from Lexington, uh, either as controlled wood or F SFI certified sources. But reductions in the availability of FSC mixed credit wood products remains a reality and expensive to maintain. This continues to require additional investment by Lexington to maintain certified FSC mixed credit availability, but we can assure you that we maintain that inventory. SFI certified wood products do not require additional investments and are available without additional costs. So with this recent announcement about your REM FireCore products, completing the family of Lexington manufacturing components, what are some of the trends that you see in the door industry that will be a driving force for your company over the next several years? Well, reliable and consistent speed to market uh, is of strategic importance to the commercial industries uh, and, the, and the window and door industries. 
Lexington continues to improve our processes to be more responsive to our customers. Trends also mandate options for raw materials that provide solutions when market conditions change. And on the supply side of the industry, Lexington continues to invest in processes, automation, and product research and development that will continue to deliver security, innovation, and efficiencies to our customers. So one of the other things that we always love to ask our supplier members, Dave, is, you know, being a member of WDMA, what do you feel are the main benefits that Lexington gets out of of membership with our organization? Well, as a member of, as a supplier member of WDMA, uh, Lexington feels it is vital to remain visible to the industry, uh, maintain a presence that invites interactive relationships. For Lexington, understanding the current market trends, dynamic conditions, supports our mission of building relationships, creating solutions, and delivering value to the WDMA members. So, Dave, I got one last question for you. What is something that you can tell the listeners about Dave Claypool that would surprise them? Well, I'm hoping this will come as a big surprise, but I most recently became a grandfather. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm a proud father of two very talented daughters, my oldest, and who is the new mother. Uh, She's a pediatric anesthesiologist practicing in Peoria, Illinois. And my other youngest daughter is a doctor of pharmacy and working at Bristol-Myers Squibb in Princeton, New Jersey. And obviously, they took after their mother, Steve. (laughs) They normally do. They normally (laughs) do. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Dave. We really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and and telling our listeners a little bit more about Langston and Manufacturing. Thank you, Steve, for the opportunity. I appreciate it very much. Well, that concludes this episode of WDMA Open and Close. If you are listening to us through your favorite podcast platform, do us a favor and don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks for listening and goodbye until the next episode of WDMA Open and Close.